Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. David, we have something we have something kind of different today, even though we have all this like political news. Yeah, going that's true. On. Basically, Congress and the Trump administration are in log at loggerheads fighting right. over whether Don McGahn's gonna testify, seems like whether Robert Mueller is gonna testify, whether Mnuchin and, and the Treasury and the IRS is gonna hand over Trump's tax returns. So lots of different moving pieces in the right. political and I, world. And, and I think that just 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 before we started uh, recording this episode, I noticed that uh, Sarah Sanders is now kind of saying that they might prevent Bob yeah. Mueller from testifying. But yeah. there seems like that that is a turning out to be a good uh, illustration of the basic dichotomy you often have in the Trump administration, where you have the talkers, right. which includes the president and Sarah Sanders <laughs> saying one thing, and the actual lawyers who I think... I don't think anybody thinks there's any way they can prevent yeah. Bob Mueller from testifying if he wants to. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's. But anyway, so all that's happening. Exactly. But we're gonna we're doing something a little bit different today. So yeah. tell us about you know people who follow you on Twitter, which there are many followers, have probably seen you engage in some back and forths, kind of over the issue of sharing the roads, right? Bicyclists, right. walkers. Right. right. Um, tell us a little bit. How did that become an issue for you? Or how did you kind of get focused on this as a? Well, I mean, it's it, you know, it's one of these issues that is sort of a Twitter issue for me, and is is partly tongue in cheek, but right. not totally tongue in cheek. And one, I think one of the one of the reasons that um, some people get uh, upset about it is that cyclists, very understandably, um, have a, a very uh, defensive posture relative to motorists, mm-hmm. right? Because because uh, cars are such a danger to cyclists, yeah. and and I always come at it from uh, a, a a a different perspective as a pretty much a full time pedestrian, yeah. right? I mean, I rarely ever drive, and I walk uh, I walk to work in the morning, and yeah. I walk my kids to school, and blah 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 blah. And um, you know, New York City is a is unique in so many ways, but one of the ways is you know it's very different from probably the city you live in or the suburb you live in, where we have lots of cars and lots of cyclists and, and lots, lots of, of people. pedestrians, yeah. right? And uh, so I have this little this this uh, beef, which is that. Um, a lot of the cyclists in our uh, where we operate, they don't seem to be very interested in, in like the in like the uh, you know the red lights and right. and, and and not uh, blowing through the crosswalk when there's pedestrians there. So anyway, um, this is this is uh, this is something I bring up on 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 Twitter sometimes, and 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 it inevitably causes a big fight and uh, people flaming me right. and, and you know it's, it's it goes to the territory because because uh, you know I, I, I'm I'm grown up um, and and some of the things I write are kind of uh, provocative in that way and there's there is an element of trolling on on my part but it actually um, you know one of the points I often make is is that uh, 
the sort of the, the the morality and ethics of of transportation is that the the player with the least inertial mass mm-hmm. has the most rights. Right. Um, and uh, being the person on that person being the one on two legs. Yeah. Exactly. Vis a vis a vis cyclists. Yeah. So in any case, um, a a guest uh, uh, Doug Gordon, right. who uh, we're going to have on in a moment, is uh, I believe a, a a a TPM reader, but also basically a a urban transportation and cycling advocate and yeah. has a podcast about it and um, in some of these in some of these little spats I've gotten into on on, on Twitter with cyclists uh, you know he has sort of jumped in and we've had pretty you know pretty congenial back and forth mm-hmm. and uh, with him uh, both sort of you know chiding me about the sort of the larger context of uh, of cycling but also making the point that that cyclists also need to uh you know um recognize that that them vis-a-vis pedestrians is right. also is also a legitimate issue so yeah, yeah. i found it a really interesting conversation i hope our listeners will too i mean it's not the usual bread and butter politics but if you care about just sharing space in a city how we kind of live and get around and kind of interact with each other, I think you'll get something out of it. And yeah. As someone who owns a bike, I'm not an avid cyclist, but I, I have a bike. I basically only ride it on the weekends or kind of, you know, just... Recreational. Yeah, recreational. Yeah, I'm, right, not, right, I'm not right, coming right. into work with it, but... um. Yeah, I found it really interesting. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's uh, you know, on the one hand, it's sort of like a cycling summit, <laughs> me sort of meeting a a, a a a moderate from the cycling community and starting to see if we can find some find some middle ground. But at the same time, there's also you know, in in a lot of ways, it's not that distant from things that we talk about on this podcast because these are uh, the the issue of urban planning and transportation. And the way we structure cities yeah. is obviously a a very political issue on in in all senses of of, of the word. Anyway, we're going to get into all that, but before we do, we got a little uh, business to do with our with our ever expanding list <laughs> yes. of sponsors of the Josh Marshall podcast. Exciting times in the studio. You know, we had I, some of these people may have seen this on on Twitter, but we had like a, a crisis yesterday. Do you remember this? I do remember. Was, I, I was trying to block it out of my mind, but we had about half the day here when we had no Grady's cold <laughs> brew at the TPM office in New York City. It's like and the it was, dark old days. It was it was it was like I couldn't believe it. And then I, I think um, I had to um, I had to clean up our hot coffee maker to kind of get it back in working order because it's been so neglected. Yeah, and it, was, and it was and it was and and and. It was pretty sad. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it doesn't taste good, but yeah. but I, I think we sent out like we probably someone leaned out the window and like like sent up a flare, and and I think they did like an emergency delivery of. <laughs> we gravy. appreciate it. Yes. Yeah. In any case, uh, the climate is warming up. The political climate is boiling over. Yep, it sure is getting hot out there. But Grady's cold brew can help you cool things down this summer. Order online and get their famous New Orleans style iced coffee delivered straight to your door. Just add water to their all-in-one kit and get 36 servings of cold brew for less than a buck a cup. Grady's will end up saving you a ton of money and also a ton of time. No need to wait in line for 
the, the coffee shop, because Grady's dispenses directly from your fridge, already cold and completely customizable for your perfect cup. Grady's Cold Brew is independently owned and operated in New York City since 2011. And, you know, I've mentioned this before. There is like a real Grady. That's right. That isn't some like... like we should uh, still get him on the show sometime. Yeah, no, I want to have him on. The, well, we were, uh, Grady and I uh, were going to get together uh, for... I mean, it's funny. I think we were going to get together for a drink, which is a little off-brand, <laughs> right. or maybe like uh, coffee or something. But yeah. I want to get him on the... Um, on the Josh Marshall podcast, but but uh, but the key point here is is this isn't something like a you know a PR firm exactly. where they sort of like uh, took like you know Grady and Homer right. and and Dutch and sort of you know <laughs> pull testing them to see which is better. There's, exactly. there's a real Grady. Uh, in any case, Grady's Cold Brew is independently owned and operated in New York City since 2011. Ready to give it a swirl? Get 20 percent off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's promo code TPM. You know, and we have. I, I think I mentioned. Uh, David, last week, or wait, were you? I was off uh, you when off. you guys were recording. Yes, right. But but now that we're, I feel like it's it's it. You know, we're kind of maturing as a podcast because now we have all these kind of like you know business to do. Yes. at the beginning of the podcast yeah. and stuff. So we also want to tell you about. A great new prod- podcast, The Primary Ride Home. The Mueller report didn't save us. Impeachment looks like a pipe dream. The only way we're going to save democracy now is at the bo- ballot box. Someone is going to ta- challenge Donald Trump for the White House. The Primary Ride Home is a podcast dedicated to figuring out who that someone, or maybe multiple someones, will end up being. As the name implies, it covers the presidential primaries. Every day at 5 p.m. Eastern, veteran journalist and This American Life contributor Chris Higgins catches you up on what happened on the campaign trail. Who's up? Who's down? What issues are getting traction? What do the polls say? It's a 15 to 20 minute show that keeps track of all the latest and summarizes it so you don't have to be nervously refreshing your browser 12 times a day. It's like TLDR as a service. So if you want to catch up on what you missed on your way home, search your podcast app and subscribe to the Primary Ride Home podcast. And just, just to remind everybody, you know, whether it's Grady's or the Primary Ride Home podcast, you know, support our sponsors. It, yeah. it, uh, it helps us get new sponsors, and they're the ones uh, making the Josh Marshall podcast possible. So uh, check them out. Both, uh, both quality uh, products. Absolutely. All right. So let's, now we're going to uh, talk to Doug Gordon. And uh, who who you may know you, you may know him on Twitter as as Brooklyn Spoke. But let's talk to the real, not the not the Twitter identity, but the real guy. Okay, so 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 David, this is this has been a long Hello, time Josh. coming. Hello. <laughs> yeah. As any read, even casual reader of yeah. your Twitter feed will will probably know you've kind of had this some opinions on bikes over the years right and, right right and so yeah i'm excited to kind of hear more about that so we have you know this is this is a funny thing to be to just to, to kind of uh, break character a little that that this is a funny conversation for me because i'm not even quite sure uh it's a little hard for me to distinguish between what level of, of this is sort of uh uh you know, uh, performative and trolling and, <laughs> right. and which issue, you know, kind of where I am on this issue. Right. You know, we do have a, a, uh, a moderate from the cyclist community here who's, who's so in this sense this is kind of a summit. <laughs> um, and that's Doug Gordon who now, so I know you have the podcast yes. and I know this is, well, why don't we start by, t- 
telling us who you are, what the podcast is, and kind of give us a little. Yeah, introduce you know, yourself. Introduce yeah. yourself. Yeah, uh, thanks for. Ha- I'm just here for the Grady's cold brew. So whatever we talk <laughs> about, a good fine. reason. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I have a podcast called uh, The War on Cars. I also um, have a Twitter feed, at Brooklyn Spoke, and a blog associated with that. My day job is I'm a TV producer, and I've worked on shows for PBS, Nova, National Geographic, Discovery, um, covering science, history, all kinds of stuff like that. And um, on the side, or even not so much on the side these days, I do a lot of safe streets advocacy, specifically related to bicycling in the Mm -hmm. city, um, but also related to pedestrian safety and things like that. So that's generally my kind of fascination and focus these days. So it's a funny thing because, you know, I... I live just a few blocks from our office where we where we're taping where we're recording this right now. Uh, so I, uh, you know, uh, unlike earlier periods of my life, I am a pedestrian. Uh, you know, almost hundred percent of the time. Uh, at, at at this point, you know, I I drive a car couple times a year or something right. something like that, and uh, it's been kind of half a beef of mine and half a running joke on my Twitter feed <laughs> that I've got this kind of thing with cyclists in 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 New York City and and that and it's and I will just kind of let's start by I'll put it out there in the sort of the raw form that as a pedestrian in this you know and we're kind of in the in the sort of the most dense right here we're kind of yeah, in the absolutely. most dense part of of New York City we're in the Chelsea neighborhood Chelsea Flatiron neighborhood of uh, of Manhattan and I'm a pedestrian my kids are pedestrians and there are a lot of cyclists well, first of all, there's a lot of cyclists in 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 more in than Man- ever yeah. in Manhattan, yeah. which again I think is great. And this the sort of the counterpart of this is like, I I'm totally for all the things that are happening in the city where um, the the roads are being made over for cyclists or being you know whole roads are being sort of blocked off altogether for pedestrians. Totally for it. But a lot of the cyclists don't follow, don't 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 pay attention to the traffic the traffic laws, yeah. and um, and again, it's sort of like it's certain you know getting hit by cyclists, except for in the most extreme cases, is is obviously nothing like getting hit by a car. That's right. obvious. Um, but when you are walking to work and you're in go, walking through a crosswalk, and someone like zooms by you and knocks you over or makes you have to jump out of the way, it's still a little annoying. And and um, and more than more than annoying. Because I mean, I've seen people hit by bikes. I have and, been hit by a bike myself yeah, as a pedestrian. Yeah, Absolutely, yeah, I, yeah. I've, I've experienced that. Yeah. So um, it, and and it's it's a it's a funny thing, and it's sort of given me. Uh, given me sort of a f- uh, a funny insight into this uh, evolving urban planning world that cyclists obviously have a very big and very merited chip on their shoulder about their role in the sort of the transportation ecosystem because they get hit by cars and get killed and and right. and, and, and and the whole transportation system is based around cars and and so uh cyclists have this great and again totally merited sense of uh uh, uh grievance and endangerment uh because their lives are endangered by cars and when you <laughs> when you have your own issues as a pedestrian sure. vis-a-vis cyclists you get this sort of what i call you know kind of like cyclist primal rage <laughs> right because again a lot of beefs a lot of um 
a lot of cyclist safety not being taken seriously. Uh, and yet, uh, th- th- you know, with pedestrians, pedestrians have yeah. their issue. I mean, I have, and then I'll, you know, kind of uh, <laughs> stop talking here. It, it kind of, for my own... Um, my own background as as a as a Jew and as a Zionist, it kind of it, it vaguely reminds me sometimes the way that that uh, uh, Jews, you know, kind of historically uh, embattled, um, oppressed population are so uh, focused on their own history of oppression and and whatever <laughs> that they sometimes have a blind spot like. Wow, we're you know our 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 uh, uh, fellow Jews in Israel are really kind of lording it over the Palestinians, and it's not God. okay. So yeah, I obviously I'm think glad you're making that analogy and not me. I mean, I'm yeah. Jewish, but yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, so anyway, um, so okay, so why do why do why do all the extremist cyclists on uh, Twitter hate me so much? Well, okay, I, I'm going to roll it back a little yeah. bit, and I'm going to do a couple things. Obviously, I got fairly far. No, that's totally that's yeah. totally fine, and I'm going to try to pick apart a little bit of what you said because you can take it. Um, number one, I'm going to agree with you, right? Cyclists run red lights. They ride on the sidewalk. They ride the wrong way down one-way streets. They blow through crosswalks with or without the signal. So far, I'm loving this. Right? They yeah. do all of that stuff. <laughs> Um, I'm definitely not going to sit here and say, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. That's, that doesn't happen. It does. Um, part of the reason that happens is because despite all of the things that New York City has done to um, cultivate cycling and to grow cycling, and to the outside observer, it might seem like we've done a hell of a lot, and we have, is we really have only scratched the surface of what infrastructure can do, right? The, the good example that I like to use is Prospect Park West in my backyard in Brooklyn, um, there was a problem with too much speeding, no safe, no uh, safe space for cycling, and they installed a bike lane. Now this was pretty controversial, but that died down, and that's not even the point. Um, the point is that before the bike lane went in, something like 47% of cyclists would ride on the sidewalk. After the bike lane went in, 3% of right, cyclists. Right, right. And most of those 3% were kids under the age of 13 who are legally allowed to do so. Right. So um, what I take from that is that. There's nothing innate in cyclists, right? And there's actually no such thing as cyclists any more than you are. You're a, pedest- a pedestrian, but you're a New Yorker. Right. You're, right, uh, right. you know, you're, you, you work in media, you work in news, you have many identities, but right, how right, you right. get around is not really your identity. I mean, look, there are cyclists who it is their identity right. in the same way <laughs> that, that, you know, motorists who yeah. work on cars in their garage, yeah, like are, yeah. are motorists. But um, there's well, nothing. I, I, I will say this, yes. that like, you know, the cyclist community has really given me an identity as a pedestrian. <laughs> you, you give it's, them lots I've, of opportunity, I, yes, to yes, be fair. Yeah. Um, and I would say also that there's a distinction between the cyclist community and the advocacy community. So like right. the people you see riding cross town on a city bike, you know, they get off at Grand Central and they need to get across town. There's no easy way to do that on the subway or the bus. They, those aren't really cyclists, um, nor am I, but I'm an advocate. I'm a member right. of the advocate advocacy community. Um, so I would say that, you know, when we... Um, when we when we push, when you make a joke on Twitter and right. people attack you for it, it's right. because you're ascribing this identity right, right, where right. one doesn't really exist, right. and I, it can be that. dehumanizing. And I think that people um, push back against that because mm-hmm. they're already, like you said, they're already facing so many problems on the road. Uh, right. There's actually just a recent study out of Australia that shows that um, people who uh, tended to be more aggressive towards cyclists 
would identify cyclists as less than human using this scale that is often That's used to identify like ethnic minorities. Right. Now, right, I, right. I, I push back at the ethnic minority comparison because if I get harassed on my bike tomorrow, I don't have to ride my bike. But, right, you know, right, right, like right, I, right. but if I get harassed as a Jewish person or, you know, if a black person gets harassed, like they're still I'm still Jewish tomorrow. Right. Um, right. So but. You know, I think that when we, my wife is a rabbi and her biggest kind of like spiritual philosophy is that what you put out in the world exists in the world. Right. So when you put out feral cyclists, when you put out, you know, <laughs> these animals right. uh, who are right, mowing right, down right, pedestrians, right, right, like right, 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 right. Uh, that c- contributes to yeah. an attitude that makes it harder for me as an advocate right. specifically to advocate and succeed at getting better infrastructure that would solve the problem that right. no, I we, get that. we both I get agree that. on. I get that. Yeah. I get that. I mean, so, some, of, you know, some, some of this, I think, is... is is um, uh, some people are in in those cases coming to my feed without really having a sense of my feed um, and seeing that's it out of Twitter's context. Problem but having said that, that's right. sort yeah. of that's, that's Twitter. That's you know that's Twitter, and yeah. I'm, and and um, uh, it, you know a speaker in any con- in any setting is responsible you know yeah. not everybody who sees what I write is going to know kind of my oh, look at that. that's why so I, I reached that. out to you because I read yeah. TPM yeah. I yeah. follow you on Twitter I appreciate your analysis of the news and I kind of get I think we have like a very similar sense of humor um, and people sometimes say the same thing about me like oh you're much nicer than you are on your Twitter <laughs> yeah, no. like, well you know I, I'm definitely nicer than I am on Twitter there's I, no, I, there's yeah. no yes. uh, question about that yeah let me ask you this though because this just to um uh and, and again, I mean, part of, part of it is I feel like uh, Im, kind of empowered or entitled as a pedestrian, right? Um, which may I mean, my my basic philosophy is the 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 party with the lower inertial mass. Oh, yeah. has more has the has has right has the, has the right pedestrians in all rule the road. Yes, you, like other, yes. yes, exactly. Cyclists versus cars, pedestrians. Right now, but let me ask you this, and this is in here. I'm I'm again sort of breaking character a little and being and being more <laughs> being more serious. I in that kind of cyclist, you know, pedestrian cyclist context, I do hear from, and I don't mean just when when someone's flaming me or something. When I'm actually like engaging. I hear cyclists seriously making the arguments that it doesn't make sense for them to stop at red lights. Right. Um, and I get that there are certain cases where, like, dude, there's a car behind me. So, like, I'm not, you know. Right, right. So, but, but <sighs> explain that. Because yeah, as a pedestrian, right, that right. does not completely no, make sense to me. Right. And especially when you talk about, like you said earlier, where, where we are here in one of the densest parts of Manhattan, the city in general. Um, I would say, look, everybody out there, my fellow cyclists, even though I said <laughs> there's right. no such thing right, as a right, cycling right. community, you're like, yeah, you should stop at the red light because there are going to be 50 pedestrians crossing that light. Um, and even if the, the crosswalk looks empty, chances are in a place like Chelsea, someone's stepping yeah, out into the crosswalk. Quite, yeah, exactly, right? exactly. So um, I, I think it, it's hard, obviously, on Twitter and in discussing these things to get to the more nuanced thing, which is that... Let's start from a place where we acknowledge that the laws are written and the, and the streets are engineered for cars, right? If I'm on a city bike huffing along at 10 miles an hour, I'm probably going to hit a red light every two blocks. Right. But the, the lights are timed so that a driver going 20 to 30 miles an hour almost never hits a red light. And 
what you see, a, a great example is in, in Copenhagen, they have this thing called the green wave, where the lights are timed to about 15 kilometers per hour. So, you know, let's say eight or nine miles an hour, 10 right. miles an hour. And you can pretty much go for miles through the city center and out without ever putting your foot down as a cyclist. Now, it's because the city has acknowledged that cycling, when you're doing all the work yourself, is a different ball game than when you're sitting in a mobile living room right. and tap your foot and you right. can go 50 miles right. an hour. Um, now, I'm not saying that that's going to work necessarily here, but you can see how that's an example of the laws don't quite work and the streets don't quite work um, for the ways in which people use them. Now, pedestrians, and this isn't whataboutism, because I am 99% of the time a pedestrian, mm. we jaywalk. Because mm -hmm. if you stopped at every light, yeah, and time. Say, you wouldn't, you wouldn't yeah. get anywhere in New yeah. York, and especially as New Yorkers, like we like to get places fast. Um, that's because the laws are written in a way that says moving these one or two cars through the intersection, and here in Chelsea, you know, at rush hour, you're lucky if one or two cars can get through the right, intersection, right, 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 um, right. is more important to us than the... 25, 50, you know, if you're a grand social, 100 people waiting for the light. Right. Um, so design influences behavior. And my philosophy always is um, if we want better behavior from cyclists, let's say, then we need better design, better design streets. Um, look, nothing's going to stop an asshole from, I can swear right. on this podcast, right? Um, Absolutely. Nothing is going to stop an asshole from being an asshole, whether they're in a car it, it, or in a, in a, on a bike or, you know, look, I'm not even going to say pedestrians are assholes because the stakes of them being an asshole are, are they die. Yeah, Nobody well, that's right. It's, right. A, it's the inertial mass, right? right. Yeah. Issue. So yeah. Um, that's kind of my like long rant to say like, look, if you want better behavior from people on bikes, you need to take a hard look at the street and see how it's working or not working. So, you know, one of the ways we do that is with separated protected bike lanes because, yeah, I've been halfway across the crosswalk and a cyclist <laughs> zooms right by me. Right. I was hit carrying my six-month-old daughter once um, and nearly dropped her. And I just, you know, I, I literally screamed. I think I screamed at that person almost something like, do you know who I am? Like, <laughs> like I was just right. the stupidest thing I could have said, but like, you hit the wrong guy. Right. Um, but on a street with a protected bike lane, I, as a pedestrian, might know, oh, the bikes go there, and right. I should look for them there. Right, and right, right. the cyclist should say, I belong here, and I'm coming up on a crosswalk. So it, it, these things all go together. Let me ask you this, and, this, and to yeah. preface this, I mean, one of the things that I think about a lot is that a lot of, a lot of sort of what the conversation on Twitter is sort of irrelevant at a certain level. Yeah. But we are in a unique situation here, at least for maybe unique is the right word a an outlier situation in the sense that most people are talking about being in small towns in suburbs whatever and 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 that and that whereas here we're we're it's so dense you have so many cars you have so many pedestrians you have so so it's kind of different in that sense but let me let me ask you this what is now in in over the last decade or so in New York City, uh, we have a lot of uh, cycle lanes that are, you know, in some cases blocked off, some, ca you know, right, blocked protected off. by cars. Yeah, usually, yeah. In, in, in different levels, though. Um, we have uh, a lot of things that don't have to do with either, you know, kind of whole lanes taken over that are only for buses now. Mm -hmm. What are, besides things just like, you know, bicycle lanes, Think what is, what are people who who are thinking of post car or car limiting urban planning 
what are the things that should be done? What is what is the kind of the big the big picture, what's possible. And and for the moment, let's talk about cities like New York City, right. you know, very dense well, c- city areas. The top line thing I would say is congestion pricing, which just passed in Albany and is going to become, it's going to be enacted, uh, I think, 2021, uh, you know, charging drivers to access the densest parts of the city. Because most people, if they're driving into Manhattan, have some other means of getting it. Now, there are people, obviously, the disabled, uh, other people with very limited transit who absolutely have to drive in. But um, if you can nudge some behavior using uh, dollars to get people out of their cars, that means that there'll be more space for bike lanes, for bus lanes that aren't blocked by traffic, for pedestrians, for pedestrian plazas. So I think um, that's going to be the next frontier. Once New York does that, you'll probably see um, cities that have a kind of defined geographic area, let's say San Francisco or Boston that has natural entry areas off of the expressway, off of the highway. Um, You'll see Chicago probably do something like that. And basically, so this is is sort of like the city gets a kind of an easy pass perimeter or something like that. Yeah, in London, I think they call it like the cordon zone or something like that. But in the sense of how you administer it. Yeah, like it's kind of license, like plate, you... license plate readers and you would be okay. charged. Right. Um, now, yeah, there is a version of this that you could see easy pass being something, but I think it would be license plate readers because not everybody has easy right, pass. Right. Um, but right, so you limit that in, and you decrease traffic in the city and then you can repurpose those that space, the spatial differential basically, um, to better and higher uses. Because look, you know, cars are the most spatially inefficient <laughs> thing in cities, and we give all this real estate to cars for free. I mean, except on the commercial avenues, you can park in most places in, in New York, certainly where I live in Brooklyn, for right. free. Meanwhile, the apartment just, you know, 10 feet on the other side of the sidewalk is renting for $4,000 right, right, a month. Right, right, right. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think that'll be it. Pricing parking will be another one. Anything that we can do to nudge people to make those decisions that remove them from the kind of sunk cost of car ownership, right? Mm-hmm, you, pay your, mm-hmm. you pay your down payment and your 300 bucks a month in insurance. Right. But you really start to think about, if I drive today, it's going to cost me $10 to go into the city. If I drive today, it's going to cost me... $7 to park or, or it, $20 know, or it, whatever it is. It, it is a funny thing because I, um, just as a, I, I, I can't imagine why anybody would, would drive in the city without a very specific reason. Again, we own a car that we use like one, I don't even know why we own it. <laughs> we have a kind of a very out of the way garage we go to. Um, when we go on a trip, sometimes right. we take the car and then we got to come back into the city to park it basically. Yeah. Um, so, and, and, and just for, just for people in different parts of the country, it costs basically, I mean, at least in Manhattan or in the sort of the denser parts of Manhattan, like, Good luck finding a, a a parking space on a street. I mean, it's, it's especially le- if you're coming back from like a weekend trip yeah, on yeah, a Sunday exa- night. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's legal, but but yeah. like and and it it's not uh, you, you know not that expensive if you can find a space. Right. But basically, uh, if you're just kind of coming into the city, you have to park in a in a garage, and basically, I mean, an overnight. That's like 
30, 40 bucks. And even right. to kind of like for an hour is like 20 bucks. So it's like very expensive. But that but that goes to show you how much we're underpricing the real estate at the curbside. Because, no, totally. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if it's free and you're lucky and, you're, and that's why that person uh, who comes back from a weekend trip is willing to circle the block for a half hour. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. if I can save myself 40, 50, even 100 bucks, uh, my time is worth that to me. Right, yeah. right. Okay, so, so, so uh, doing things just to reduce the number of cars moving around Manhattan, yeah. bike lanes, what else? Um, you know, I think uh, I'm, I'm a real nerd for bike parking. We, we talk mm-hmm. a lot about bike lanes, right. but they don't do you a whole lot of good if you've got your bike at home and at the other end at your office or your school or wherever you're going, you have no place to securely st- store it. Right. Um, so increasing the amount of secure bicycle parking, a lot of offices will allow people to bring their bikes in, for example. That's really helpful. But really, like again, repurposing that street space to mm-hmm. on-street bike parking like you see in bike-friendly places like, right. the, like the Netherlands like Denmark, that can be really helpful. That that can unlock uh, a lot of potential. People will buy different kinds of bikes. You know, right now, part of the, um, one of my weird little theories is that people race around really quickly on their bikes because they're riding in New York these like very light bikes that they have because they probably have to haul them up to a fourth floor walk right. up. Right. But you go to, it, yeah. yeah, but you go, right, right. But you go to the Netherlands and they're all riding, like even kids are riding these like 40, 50, 60 pound bicycles where you sit upright because they can park them up. You know, in Amsterdam, their apartments are not bigger than ours. Um, they're much smaller, in fact, but they can park their bicycles outside. So I'm, I have this weird fascination uh, and obsession with bike parking as this magical tool to mm-hmm. I- improve cycling behavior. I We bought a place in Brooklyn and it has a garage with bike parking and I have this like crazy Dutch bike that can carry my children. And mm-hmm. so I'm, you know, top speed, nine miles an hour right, <laughs> going right, downhill. Right, right, right. Uh, so I think that can increase behavior from a cycling point of view. Well, we yeah. talk about like the, the Netherlands. What is, are, are there statistics for, um, you know, relative numbers of people on cars and bikes in Amsterdam that, that you could sort of make yeah. a comparison I mean, with New York? I, I you know, I think... It's, it's hard to make a comparison. I don't have all the stats. I could probably list off a few random ones. Like for a really good indicator is that in the Netherlands, something like 54% of all trips on bikes are made by women. And in New York, it, we, we never have cracked 25%. Now, you know, there are all kinds of theories as to why that is. And I, I wouldn't want to, as a man, start mm-hmm. to get into all of those things for risk of being accused of being sexist. But look, women and men still have slightly traditional roles. Even professional women have a lot of family obligations. Mm-hmm. And um, there's different safety risks that they might be willing to take as a result. So that's a really good indicator. You know, you see much more of an egalitarian distribution of of who's on bikes. You see different right. ages. I was in the Netherlands in August and um, my wife said to me at one point, cause we were, you know, we were out vacationing basically. And so we were out when most people are at work and most of the people that we saw were senior citizens. And mm-hmm. we both have elderly, elderly parents. And can you imagine, you know, my 73, 74, which I know is not so elderly father uh, on a bike riding around in a city. And it's like, no, you can't. Yeah. I, I mean, I will say just, just for people who aren't from here, even even being a pedestrian in New York City is a, in or in oh. Manhattan is a very kinetic sort of and I and in this I mean hopefully not literally kinetic in most cases but like it's very it, 
fast moving and there's a lot of cars and a lot of bikes and, and everybody. I mean, even running into other pedestrians. It's yeah, like, you know, look, even being an elderly pedestrian. In yeah, if someone, stop, if someone stops, if you're walking in, along and someone in front of you just stops abruptly, you can bump into them if well, you're no, not I, totally I, paying attention. You know, you know. Frankly, and there's even, I mean, I... I, I I've been on both sides of that. That I think it's pretty it's pretty normal. Again, in New York City, if you're a pedestrian, you just like stop. People are behind you, like, dude, what the fuck? Right. <laughs> yeah, like, right. what do you what? Do, yeah. You know, like it's it's almost right. like if you if if you're um, driving down the street and you just said, oh, I'm just gonna stop yeah. out of nowhere, and right. everybody be, you know people crash into you and stuff. So it's a pretty intense environment yeah, for everybody. And, and you know, and New York is seen as a success story in terms of pedestrian safety because pedestrian fatalities across the country are going up because of distracted driving, because of SUVs and, and just how large cars are now that when they hit a person, they're more likely to kill them. But in New York, uh, it's a little different this year, but the overall trend is going down. We had something like 200 pedestrian or traffic fatalities last year. It's gone up this year by about 30%, but that's still historically much lower than virtually any year during, like, since automobiles were invented. What is again the the, the Plan Zero? I call it Vision Zero. Vision Zero, yeah. and so and and that is that goes back half a dozen years. So De Blasio uh, entered office, and one of his platforms right. was Vision Zero, which was a plan to end all traffic deaths and serious injuries by I think twenty twenty four. Now, is there is there an explanation or a plausible explanation for why just this? Lip this, you know, that it's up this year, or people don't really. It's, it's hard really to say, hard to or? say. I mean, I think you walk out there. There's there's more cars than ever. That's you know the, the explosion of Lyft and Uber and other right. for, hire, for hire vehicles has been a factor. Um, there's something to be said about our police department, which is mm-hmm. a whole subject for a different podcast, right. perhaps, and how they enforce traffic. Um, I think you know the population's going up. There's just all these different factors that are playing into it. But the it. overall trend is still down. Absolutely. Okay. I mean, if you if you go back to the '80s and '90s, you're talking hundreds and hundreds of people who are killed every year. Yeah, it's and and you know, New York's a success story in so many other ways. You look at the murder rate in the '70s mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. '80s and even the '90s and where it is today. Um, well, so we know, can tackle this problem. It, yeah, it, it's just a different topic. It's funny. I was in a conversation uh, again on Twitter about uh, Bill De Blasio, and and it's funny that that like. No one likes De Blasio, and yet I think he's been a very successful mayor in in on his own terms. I mean, obviously some people are are conservative or more left wing or something like that, but he came in with like two or three things. I'm going to do these things, and he just did them. Yeah, and 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 and, uh, and one of the things is that obviously over the last few years, you've had. Uh, the same the same story with crime where crime is yes it's still way down overall but in 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 a lot of parts of the country you did have starting in like 2015 2016 yeah, it goes up you know a go up a bit it's kept going down in 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 uh, New York City obviously that's not just about Bill De Blasio um, but what are okay so what are the things that if you you have this vision zero, and that's that is a, a, a separate thing, but obviously it's it's tightly connected to cars and and cyclists yeah. and, and 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 pedestrians. What are the things they have done? Like what 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 right. have they actually been doing to? So it to, might be helpful actually to define vision zero. So vision zero is this idea comes out of Sweden um, that. We here in America tend to think of traffic safety as everybody's responsibility. Look both ways before you cross the street, or if you're a cyclist, wear a reflective vest and have a light. If you're a driver, you know, go slowly, don't be distracted. Vision Zero says, basically, 
and this is not the Swedish definition, that human beings are idiots, right? We make all kinds of mistakes. Um, mistakes happen, especially in shared environments like cities. And the consequence of those mistakes shouldn't be death or serious life-altering injury. And so Vision Zero is a top-down systems-based approach to traffic safety that says the people who design the system, the traffic engineers, are mostly responsible for fixing it um, and to making sure that those crashes, when they occur, are not lethal or life-altering. And so, uh, yeah, the biggest thing are the... um, bike lanes like look it should be said that 8th avenue and 9th avenue have these separated bike lanes and when they were installed this predates de blasio it's bloomberg um traffic injuries to all users not just cyclists went down by about i think about 40 percent so that's two pedestrians because you know one of the features of the bike lanes is that they have these pedestrian islands at the mm-hmm. at the ends mm-hmm. and so drivers instead of taking every turn like a highway off-ramp have to make a much harder, almost right-angle turn, which naturally slows them down. Interesting. Um, And again, it kind of acknowledges, we could wag our finger at you and ask you to, hey, be careful, look up from your phone. But if you design the street in a way that a driver is forced to take it slowly, then that changes the equation for everybody. Let me ask you this, and this, this, again, from my experience, and I mean, for most of my adult life, I was a, a very regular driver. How much, well, here's the question I have. How much does segregating bikes into bike lanes make the the motorist more safe, even vis-a-vis other motorists? Because here, here's, yeah. the, here's the thing. What I, and again, this isn't that kind of like, oh, get off the road. You're, you know, I mean, in a very, in a very direct sense, I have always noticed, certainly in big cities, as a, when I'm a motorist, that having cyclists moving around through the motorists is a v- puts a lot of unpredictability yeah. into the system. And again, that's that's not me saying like, oh, you know, you deserve what you get. I'm saying, as a motorist with other cars, I can see them. I know basically where they, you know, where right. they are. And so it seems to me that that it that again segregating. I mean. A lot of negativity of that word, but in separation, sense, separation, separation yeah. separating out bikes would make cars safer, even vis-a-vis other cars. Oh, sure. I mean, what you want in a city as chaotic and hectic as New York is any chance to layer in a little bit of predictability, right? And so, bike lanes uh, offer that predictability because I, I drive a little more frequently than people might think in the mm-hmm. city, and you know, I, I get behind the wheel of a car and instantly I'm like, oh, look at this asshole on the bike. Just came out of nowhere, right? Um, no, I've always been struck by how my my you know my my transportational identity is very fluid. Yeah, well, it's called. I, I think they, they call it modal bias, basically. Right, that right, you know, right. you you are one thing. You know, when you're walking, it's these damn drivers. When you're driving, it's these damn pedestrians. Um, and so, yeah, that get, layering in that predictability really helps, and it does help drivers. Look, as much as the drivers who tend to scream in the tabloids about how much they hate bike lanes right. uh, will make you know get all the kind of oxygen in our media landscape, there are plenty of drivers who say, I love this stuff because then I don't have to worry about it as much for exactly the reason that yeah. you're saying. Um, it helps ev- It helps everybody. Yeah, right. Because if, if I don't have to slam on my brakes because some messenger just cut in front of me, that's better for everybody. Yeah. And it even goes to, I mean, it's interesting you, you make this point about, about where you were just saying that traditionally we think about it as everybody protects, everybody has to protect themselves and don't do stupid. It's a very American idea, right? Right. Whereas again, we don't really, I mean, obviously it is foundationally different at some level, but when we talk about like injuries in the subway system, we don't say like, dude, 
you need to be a defensive subwayist or something like right. that. We say, like, right, right. dude, whoever made the subway has to make sure it's safe to to get on. Right. And 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 but to that point about separating out the different the, the different things, you just I mean, again, this is my this has always been my thing when I'm a motorist that again, having, having cyclists, you know, cause normally pre bike in the pre bike lane era, you know, mostly the cyclists are on the side of the road. They're not, they're not in the lanes, right. like competing with, with, with um, drivers. But when they are again, purely, if you're looking out, I mean, almost precisely because you, you are looking out for the cyclist safety, right? It's just, it introduces instability and uncertainty into yeah. the into the system. Well, and also in those pre-bike lane days, and even here in areas where you don't have good bike lanes, getting back to that idea that design influences behavior, um, if you have shitty bike lanes or none at all, then the types of cyclists that you're going to get are the aggressive, macho, largely male, let's say, messenger kind of culture with the sports cyclists, just the aggro kind of dudes who are out there, right? right, 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 right. Um, you're not going to get the person in a suit or the person in a skirt uh, riding a city bike, like I said, at eight miles an hour, because those people are not dumb. We're all rational human beings, and they don't want to get killed. Uh, they don't have that kind of thirst for adventure that right, some of the right, messengers right. might have had back in the well, day. Well, that's another thing, again, yeah. for people outside of New York City. And obviously, New York City is not the only city with messengers. But it is, it's definitely a, a big central city kind of thing that you do have messengers. They have to do their job as quickly as possible. That's how they right. – that's sort of the margin of making a living. Um, and it breeds to a uh, – you know, it selects for – a kind of a hardcore mentality right, and right. they even have you know the even their um their uh you know get up is right. is this kind of like mad maxi kind of but i you guarantee know, kind of thing. that if you took that person and sort of like magically beam them to copenhagen or amsterdam they wouldn't suddenly be zipping through red lights and riding the wrong way they would just kind of blend in Absolutely. and there would be that social press pressure Absolutely. and so again i think that speaks to just we can build a better cycling culture by building better cycling infrastructure. Right, right. Yeah. Let's go back to the to Vision Zero th sure. thing again. What are what are the other things that has gone into um, just reduce? I mean, because again, it's sort of like what is it? I, I know that, uh, or at least auto fatalities were at least go and auto you know auto to auto fatalities right, right, right. going down. But it's kind of nuts that we lose tens of thousands of people every year. I mean, it's, I mean honestly, my, my mother died in a car accident. Oh, I didn't so know that. Like a, so this wow, is not I a, a not theoretical issue for me. Um, uh, you know, we sh this shouldn't happen or shouldn't happen. As, so what are the other things yeah. that, at least in New York City, that have gone into the into that policy? Well, there's push? the speed camera program, which just got expanded in Albany. Um so in New York, the speed limit is 25 miles an hour. That's actually part of it. The speed limit used to be 30 miles an hour, and now it was dropped down. Now, it's just signs, right? In most places, right. it doesn't actually... There's nothing self-enforcing about the street, but there's a little bit of a kind of halo yeah, effect, right? The like people, a little, yeah. you know, someone in front of you is driving slower, so you do too. Um, but speed cameras... Um, were just expanded, and they're largely in front of schools during school hours. Um, you're ticketed only if you're going 11 miles an hour or more over the speed limit, which says something about kind of driver entitlement, <laughs> we think. But you get a ticket. I think it's $50. Uh, it's not points on your license. And they find that a really large number of people who get a first 
school camera speeding violation don't get a second. Interesting. There are some who do, right. obviously. Um, so that's been a big one. There's been an expansion of uh, red light cameras across the city. So automated enforcement is really good, taking away the police's ability to just use that discretion of maybe we're focusing on one neighborhood where it right. isn't really a problem because of the right. types of people who are there versus another. It's just, it doesn't discriminate. You're going over the speed limit, you get a ticket. Yeah. It's interesting. Is that, is that, it, I, I like the idea of having a ticket where you get a, a financial penalty, but it's not, you know, these this whole points thing on yeah. insurance, that that does... Uh, obviously, financial penalties impact people in, in, in different ways, just in the nature right. of things. But uh, it, it makes it seem easier and um, a, a more flexible tool if you can say, hey, we're going to do these like small, you know, relatively small right. financial penalties, um, but we're not going to, um, for kind of low-level things impact people's insurance because then like yeah. you can people when people can't drive then they can't you know they can't get to their job and it's just a it's a bigger, yeah i mean even, thing. even in sweden uh, where vision zero originated i think they don't financially penalize people for i mean they're i'm oversimplifying it but they um instead of issuing tickets with a financial penalty they'll just send a letter saying you were seen speed your car was seen speeding <laughs> that sounds very, very low Swedish, countries right? yeah kind very, of a, very Scandinavian yeah, thing yeah. To do. yeah but but again it gets this sense of like oh i better be careful next time and the, right. the point is you know i often say like look i i have two kids I don't want the driver who runs over my children to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. I want the driver to not run over my children. Um, I, I won't really, it'll be cold comfort if yeah. that person winds up going to jail. Um, so the more we can do to nudge behavior and recognize that it's the system that needs changing and not, you know, it's, in, in New York, it's hurting cats. Like trying to get everybody to do the right thing, quote unquote, is impossible. But if you can use, these subtle little nudges of behavior to influence stuff by design, by automated enforcement, you can move the dial a little bit. And I think we've seen that mostly in New York. L last question. Sure. How is it, and again, for people outside the city, we have this thing, City Bike, which is a, um, I mean, it's branded with Citibank's advertising, right. but it's basically a thing where you can sign up and then there's little clusters of bikes, at least in Manhattan, kind of really pretty all yeah, over Brooklyn, the place. Yeah, Brooklyn, Queens, all over now. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and you kind of pick one up here, you go 20 bucks and there's another place you can drop it off and you're done. How is that? How has City Bike in itself figured into the move to more cyclists yeah. and the change of the urban infrastructure and all that? Well, it gets back to what I was saying earlier about parking and having to lug a you know a ten speed bicycle up to your apartment. So there are plenty of people who probably don't own their own bicycles because they don't have a place to store one. So there's a city bike dock down their street, and there's one maybe at the other end of their commute. And so this makes it easier for them to get around by bike and still take advantage of all of the great things about cycling, um, how inexpensive it is, how convenient it is, without having to worry about their bike being stolen or where they're going to park it. That's good. The bikes themselves, I mean, you know, th they have these now in Chicago, right. San Francisco, so people are pretty familiar with them, even very small cities. The next wave is scooters, though, right? Right. That's, that's, the, next... the, that's the coming <laughs> deluge. Yeah. 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 So I've seen this thing where they, what, isn't it where, like, someone was just saying how, like, we're the only city that kind of 
hasn't gotten the scooter thing yet, or, or relative to other cities. Right. I mean, they're trying, right? They're they're, they're really trying. Uh, the big companies that are pushing scooters are trying to get in here. But I think New York smartly is saying, like, okay, let's let's but figure they, it out. But can't you take those on the on the sidewalks? Yes. Well, that's the question. I mean, that right? is fucked no, up. Like, right. I do not want those dudes on the sidewalks. Right. But that again gets back to what I said. Like, if you are worried about the coming scooter right. invasion <laughs> right. and you don't want them on the sidewalks, yeah. then like, well, we've got a lane of parked cars over here that are never moving. Yeah. What if, yeah. Like, yeah, what yeah, if we? Yeah. Got rid of them, made a nice flat, safe bike lane, hundred percent, and you can all go over there. I'd be, yeah, I'm all in favor of that. I'm sorry, I cut you off, though. No, no, that's it. Um, You know, I so I think that's again, to me, it really goes down to like design influencing behavior. That guy on a scooter in San Francisco, you know, like he's not an asshole. I mean, he might be because you know who knows, but he's not doing it because he's a jerk. He's doing it because there's no other place to go. So let's fix that. We've got plenty of space. And again, I mean, I, I, for, for, for what it's worth, just for the record, I am completely in favor of everything to make it easier and safer to ride bikes everywhere, but particularly New York City, because this is where I live. Yeah. Um, And uh, so anything I say is, is I, I want more of these things. I yeah. just, again, I, I just want people to, you know, to, where, to, where cause I, it is getting hit by a bike is actually, is, is, look, is, I is, would is not no mi- fun. I yeah. would not minimize that in any way. I will say that, um, I think in the last 10 years, four people have been killed by falling air conditioners in New York city. And uh, only two people have been killed yeah. by cyclists. That's not to minimize. Yeah, no. My it, only thing right. there is kind of like being killed is not the only standard. It's, right? It's no, still getting like hit still, or like yeah. being even even yeah. kind of startled as you cross the street yeah, is yeah, no fun. Yeah, and yeah. Um, none. Of, I would not apologize for any of that behavior, and I and I wouldn't excuse it. I can explain it a little bit through I think design and just a sort of we're in a very like immature stage of our development right. as a like post car city it's right, we're still right, we're right, still figuring right. it out yeah well it is i mean what is the just you know second final question what is the is there kind of a plan that is like where are we going to be in 2 years in new york city in terms of more bike lanes i mean what is the what is the plan that they're executing right now. Well, we'll see what happens with congestion pricing. And that's not coming for a couple of years, conveniently until after the next gubernatorial election, of course. Right. Um, but uh, I think you'll see continued growth of cycling. Um, I think you'll see more. Uh, I think actually you'll see fewer bike lanes and more bike streets. Um, so you'll see. So what is that? Tell, right. I, I've been wondering about that. What, what, yeah. is, what does that mean? Well, so if you think about it, like here on the Manhattan grid, every street from let's say you know 14th Street all the way up to yeah. George Washington Bridge is designated for cars, for parking, right. for moving cars, for storing cars. I think you will see not just the addition of bike lanes to those streets, but you'll probably see a movement towards taking a certain pairs of streets here and there, um, not certainly every block, but let's say every 10 blocks, every 20 right. blocks, and just saying, we're going to limit access to automobiles. Now, you know, if you live on the block and someone's making a delivery, emergency access, of course, we're going to let you through. But for the most part, we're just going to um, let bikes go through. We already have that over at Madison Square, 23rd Street. There's a shared street right, uh, well, where they've limited, they've changed the direction so it's not convenient for drivers to come right off of, I think, Fifth Avenue and pull off right, or Broadway. Wasn't there, there's up, uh, what is it, there's, is it near Herald Square or, or, or Times Square? There's uh, just chunks of avenues that 
they're totally blocked off for cars. They just right. become yeah. pedestrian. I think you'll kind see. Yeah, you'll see more pedestrian plazas. We just like, look. We have a huge pedestrian crunch. We have entire areas of the city where there are massive apartment buildings that didn't exist even two or three years ago. I think you'll see more space devoted to non car options. Right. Yeah. right I think that's right, really right. The, just the movement every city is headed in. Cool. Uh, Doug Gordon, thank you. Josh, thanks. This was I, great. I this is like a summit where we've, you know, we've, we've aired, I, I, you aired You know, issues. I was willing to do it, like I said, for the Grady's. And yeah. um, also, because we've had some very pleasant, yeah, despite no, Twitter totally, being totally, a hellhole. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you and I have had some very nice no, interactions. I agree. Yeah. So uh, tell us about the... the uh, do a shout out for the podcast yeah. and, so, uh, and the you site can go, and the You can go Twitter to uh, uh, thewaroncars.org. We release a podcast about every two weeks. Again, it's called The War on Cars. Um, and we tackle everything from sort of like the cultural aspect of cars. We did uh, an episode you might enjoy called The Liberal Blind Spot for Cars. We <laughs> talked about how in some of the most progressive places in the country, Cambridge, Massachusetts, Park Slope, New York, uh, Berkeley, California, some of the most progressive, pro-environmental, uh, socially conscious people are vehemently anti-bike. Um, so we try to tackle this issue of the transformation of cities, not from a wonky point of view, but right. from more of a cultural, like what's going on here Got it. point of view. Uh, Got yeah. It. So yeah, that's the war on cars. And then I have a Twitter feed uh, at Brooklyn Spoke. Cool. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I, I hope you. I hope everybody enjoyed this. Like, definitely a different, different thing from our normal episode. But as I think you can tell, I, I, uh, I enjoyed getting into it because, uh, you know, a just talking about the city that we live in, yeah. New York City, and very interested in. in um, the urban planning questions yeah. uh, and and just how. How you build change? It's not that yeah. you know. It's, Do you feel it's, like you've you've seen more bikes around the city in your time living here? How long have you been in New York now? I have lived in New York City since the end of two thousand four, so okay. I've been here for fifteen years. Um, I definitely think I see more bikes. Um, I mean, you sort of you know you lose track it's hard over to lose, time. Yeah. I mean, I def- definitely definitely. Um, Definitely, bike infrastructure yeah. is much more pervasive. I can't really. And the bike share, the city bikes that we talked about, right. those are a relatively recent addition yeah. to the f- city. It feels Six, like seven years, yeah. something like that. Um, and obviously, not that there were none, but comparatively speaking, fifteen years ago, there was no, there were none of the sort of the bike lane right. things you have now. Luckily, we have been spared the scooters for now. Which we got into a little bit, but yeah. Well, I, you know, it's like the, the key thing is uh, we, you know, this is not like, and I mean, I grew up in the suburbs. It's not, you know, I'm not like a an, a, 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 a suburb snob, but this isn't like your suburb where the kind of like, uh, you know, half the time no one's even on the sidewalk. Right. Yeah. You know, you can't have people like zipping I around. I cannot imagine that here. I know. I don't think it would be workable. I, I know mean, that little kids. I'm sure you know this from experience. Like ride around on little razor scooters. Yeah. That's obviously easy to get around, but we're we're talking about motorized electric scooters that are self-propelling and yeah, plowing yeah. people over on the sidewalk. Yeah, there's and just not also enough room for it. Just they get left in the middle of the sidewalk. If you go down in DC, they're like literally like leaned up against a, a water, you know, a, a fountain or a or just like post laid or on their side in a park or something yeah. like that. Well, that that's sort of uh, th- that is <laughs> that's the thing that interests me most about because that's such a it it, it is. Um, the whole app thing and and swiping, yeah. it's a, it's such a weird thing that that's possible. It's not even like you need like a rack. You just like no, you just take leave it, it. And just 
literally like on the street around, right? and someone else someone else uh, picks it up anyway one more thing I want to mention uh, and that is about memberships to TPM uh, the way we pay for everything TPM does is through memberships becoming a member means you get extra stories that we write you get fewer ads on the site you get to post on our special member forum and you get a bunch of other good stuff but it also means you support our journalism and you support this podcast this podcast is, is if not if yeah. you've listened this far you need yeah. to subscribe yeah you totally need to subscribe um, and especially if you're if you're a regular re- reader uh, you know the podcast is is free for everyone but it it is funded by the the publication that is behind it and that is talking points memo TPM and we need our regular uh, readers and listeners to subscribe so we have a special offer with that in mind for just that is just for podcast listeners it's 20% off of a TPM prime membership and again that gives you all sorts of great things uh, on our website and it, it supports what we do here so if you enjoy the podcast uh, give it some thought it is 20% off to get that offer go to talkingpointsmemo.com slash deal that's talkingpointsmemo.com slash deal and it's 20% off so that's totally awesome so yeah. so give it some thought and uh that is how we keep this podcast going. All right. Thanks, Josh. Talk All to right. you next week. Talk to you next week. Bye.